Welcome to the Pemberley Podcast, where we discuss Jane Austen and other historical romance adaptations. I'm Jillian. I'm Yolanda. Let's dive in with a quote from the real-life King George III regarding the war with America. I spend money on war because it is necessary, but to spend it on science, that is pleasant to me. This object costs no tears. It is an honor to humanity. He was still a big science nerd, and like, (laughs) war hasn't started for them yet. But there's, there's trouble in the Americas, which we briefly hear about. So this week we'll be discussing Queen Charlotte episode four. We'll talk about what George has been doing and experiencing these last three episodes, as will be in his point of view. And Charlotte will finally learn the truth about his mental state. We'll also discuss mental health in 18th century England. Also, if you like listening to our show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. That'll help us to reach new fans. So a quick recap. Previously in episode three, George and Charlotte have officially been crowned king and queen of England, though they pretty much hate each other and agree to consummate their relationship on even days. They made up by the end and attended Lady Danbury's ball, making great strides in England's latest effort to further the great experiment. This is a really unique episode of Queen Charlotte. I feel like we're in a real life romance novel because we're now officially seeing this story from King George's point of view. One through three, we have very much been with Charlotte and we've been seeing the adventures of Lady Danbury and and whatnot. But this episode is purely on King George and what he's been up to for the last three episodes. We don't even get a flash forward into modern day Bridgerton to check in on the succession crisis. Honestly, this is a really sad episode for me to watch. It was hard. Yeah, a lot of it are scenes that we've seen already in the show, but now we're seeing it in a new perspective because it is all George's, what George was going through and what he was struggling with. I think that is a bit of the unique part of it because we have been so in Charlotte's point of view where she is just like laying around all day or just like waiting around and doing nothing. And now we see like George's day was actually full of activity because of the secret that he's been holding on to. Event number one is the king's condition. We pick up right where we left off at the end of the last episode. Charlotte's just witnessed him having his episode and nakedly yelling to the sky. Now they're inside and with Reynolds, she's cleaning him off because he's all dirty. No, your majesty, the king has not been himself lately. What is this? What is happening? What has happened to my husband? Reynolds doesn't know what's wrong with him. Nobody knows what's wrong with him. They just know that he has this affliction where he has these fits where he seems to go mad. So we flash back to a pre-Charlotte George being Farmer George doing his thing in the field when his mother summons him. He thinks he's being summoned to be told about a nice young lady that she's found and met with who could be his bride. But the Dowager Princess Augusta has really taken matters into her own hand. And she's like, look, the country is in crisis. The colonies are threatening to withhold taxes. The people need a real king, which means they need a real queen, which means they need an heir. And so I have found you a woman and I'm not going to bore you with her qualities. You just need to know that she is literally on a ship on her way here. Congratulations, (laughs) you're getting married really soon. The contracts are signed. 
That's, I'm sure, very jarring to hear because I feel like he's been able to avoid this conversation for a little while. The answer is coming for all of the Dowager Princess's problems. She is literally on her way. It's going to take like a month. I think we talked about it before. It takes like a few months for her to actually arrive. But for George, it's now like a now problem. He thought this was like a months in the making problem. But now this is like today's issue for him. I think what also sucks is he's the king. He's not like the prince about to be the king. He's legitimately the king of England. He technically has more power than his mother. And so he, I think, kind of in his mind always thought he could do it on his schedule. Right. And he can't. His mom was like, nope, I did this thing because you won't do it if I don't. Which is true. You know what? Sometimes these guys, they just need to be pushed. And this is one of those times I think what's interesting is obviously his mother knows him so well. So she knows when she can see the moments, she can see the ticks that are, are signaling to her like he's about to have an episode. So she knows that when, when they're talking and she like quickly shoes everyone out more just to be like, oh, we just need more of a private conversation. But no, she's like, he's about to like go into one of his episodes. So we need privacy. A pattern that we're finally seeing for the first time that is pretty consistent throughout this episode. And and the more that we see him have these episodes, they seem to come on whenever he's under immense kingly pressure. Mm. He kind of starts to have these ticks and be confused when she's like, you're getting married. I picked your queen. She's on the way over here. The Americans are withholding taxes. People don't have bread. Like they need a royal heir. We need to secure your family's for you know, she's she's it's putting she's putting that royal pressure on him. I mean it's real. She's it's not like, oh, you can just be chill about right. it, mom. Like the, <laughs> the pressure is so real. And I feel like whenever he feels the weight of that is when he kind of starts to slip into one of his episodes and it happens. So he essentially collapses. The real title of this episode is Holding the King. And so he kind of collapses onto her and she's barely able to get all of these royal parliamentary men out of the salon before he goes mad because this is the biggest secret any of them will ever keep. If, if I were to guess, I would say like their goal was to just sort of keep this under wraps until they could find a solution. Right. And now he's in his 20s and they haven't found a solution. I think it's something they, they likely thought like will go away over time or like will just resolve itself, but it's now getting worse and they didn't prepare for worse. So now they're needing to turn to some very drastic actions by employing some very unique doctors <laughs> at that time who had very unorthodox methods. I mean, anything during that time was just, they were, it's new medicine, all of it. So they are just like testing things out as they go along and seeing what works. Letting yourself like bleed out was a method of like, hey, yeah, that'll fix you, right? And we clearly know that is not like the right method today. No, they see some deranged doctors and one of them recommends drilling holes in his head. They also used to think that you had like four kinds of humors in your body. And so finally, this doctor, Dr. Monroe steps up and he weirdly seems to have the most, uh, the least violent solution is what we'll call it who seems to say, like, you have disorganized nerves. The worst thing you could be was mad. The worst thing you could Mm. do is have something wrong with your mind, because that's just not something that they could cure. So the nerves really referred to, like, your nervous system. And so the doctor is like, you have disorganized nerves. And I believe that, like, with diet and just, like, some behavioral techniques, I could cure you. And I gotta say, compared to drilling holes in his head or, like, throwing a bunch of leeches on him, this sounds like a pretty reasonable solution. Someone 
says this guy is what he's suggesting is treasonous. And I'm like, you don't think it's that treasonous to put holes in the kid's <laughs> head? But um, he and his mother are desperate. So they they bring Dr. Monroe onto the, uh, the actually official medical team. We cut from that moment to the royal wedding day. And we see that George kind of overhears the future queen has gone missing. And we see him start to tick. He start a, a big tell is that he his hand starts twitching and, and he's having trouble hearing the room around him. Hmm. So he's not even trying to run too. He just like needs a minute alone outside. And he encounters the doctor who slaps him in the face. And I remember when I saw that, I was thinking either he's going to be our hero and he's the only one willing to step up and do what's necessary to snap him out of his state or this is a bad omen. Yes. And it's yeah. a bad omen. <laughs> yes. Even though he wasn't upfront with like his violent methods, we're seeing the beginnings of that, of what he is capable of as a doctor or what he thinks is the proper treatment. Exactly. So the next really big event that triggers his side of things is her barging in on him at the observatory. Like it's been a couple days. She's been ignored. Queen Charlotte will not be ignored. So she barges in on him and that signals to him, oh my God, she's unpredictable. She just does what she wants. He even says to Reynolds, like, she's as mad as I am. Mm. So he calls the doctor in and he says, I know how science works. <laughs> I have a big telescope. It's yeah. very fancy. <laughs> I think I know what I'm talking about. And I do know that you can't use your most advanced methods on me. I'm the king of England. You can't ruin this. I know. Mm. But I do know that scientists, like, save their most cutting edge methods for when they know it works. And I'm here to tell you, I need to be better now. I'm giving you my permission. I want your most cutting edge, crazy techniques because I need to be better right now. That is just a lot to ask. And I don't think he realizes even what he's signing up for, but he's willing to do whatever it takes. And I mean, there's so many of these, like, even though we, granted, we don't know fully, we'll never know what King George III was actually going through. I mean, so many of these conditions tied to the nervous system like there's still no cure there's still it's just management of these things and it's the regular treatment that yes people can be guided through a lot of this but there's there's no definitive cure for this so for him in those times to say like cure me cure me today cure me now it is just beyond what is possible even then and more so today you know what's never cured anything ever Ice baths, gruel, a torture chair. <laughs> right. The doctor says, like, I can help you, but I'm going to need complete access to you. I'm going to need rooms in the palace. I Like, he's basically... what Full he's, access. Well, and what he says to George is just so illogical. Like, we... It's, it's great that, like, we as the audience are watching this and we're like, what the heck? This isn't going to work. But, yeah. like, to them, in the context of this show... They just didn't know anything and they would believe anything. And he says, here's your problem. You've never had to be subservient before. You're a king. Your mm. mind has had too much free reign. And it's just so horrible to watch because yeah. he's the king of England and he's a nice guy. And then he's being subjected to torture. Like they just like escort him to his laboratory slash torture chamber, which is so creepy. It's like as creepy as you think it is. It should be a haunted house. <laughs> He's subjected to all this stuff and he it's just so crazy cuz he's the king of England and he could dis he could end this at any time but he wants to give the treatment a chance. Yeah, he really gives in fully to Dr. Monroe. He's like whatever you say goes and he is in that 
submissive role when it and it comes to the doctor because he's like following everything he says and the doctor really has like free reign to do whatever he wants because king george is so desperate for any kind of answer any kind of solution he has a conversation with reynolds where he says like i need to do these treatments in order to be with charlotte and Reynolds, who is seeing things quite clearly, is like, <laughs> you're the king. If you wanted, you could just be with her right now. So they go over to Buckingham House and just kind of like watch her from afar as she plays chess with herself. And he's it's like, so it's so sad. And he's like, wow, she's super weird. And Reynolds is like, it would be helpful if she knew that she weren't alone and, and like had some kind of gesture. So the Pomeranian is actually like the doctor's caged pet. Right. He gives this ridiculous <laughs> speech about how like Europe used to be overrun by vicious wolves and they were animals. And look what we've done with breeding. We've made them these little toy dogs. That's what I'm going to do with you. So he takes the Pomeranian and sends it to Charlotte tries to have this relationship with her from afar. Yeah. There is a lot of like Beauty and the Beast that comes to mind here where like he feels like no one understands me. I must hide away in this grand castle and and I will be here forever alone and all my servants will be here too and we're all trapped in here. But I think what Reynolds is really trying to get him to understand much like many of the poor young like appliances and and <laughs> furniture of the house with the beast and they're like maybe if you just like opened your heart someone would accept you and in this case i mean he's like you have a wife maybe if you just open up to charlotte she'll accept you and the thing is he has been raised essentially to be told like you are not fine you are you should hide all of this and you should be ashamed of this and Along with the diagnosis of, like, if he's insane, he is not fit to run England, and down goes all of this, like, everything that they've been working towards. So, there, yes, there is a lot of added pressure beyond that, but just, like, the personal stakes for him of, like, no, if she finds out, like, she will look at me in a different way, and I can't handle that. So with all this speculation about what the doctor's methods mean and, and whether or not this is going to do anything for George, which we know it won't, let's dive into a quick history fact about the mental health state in 18th century England. The field of psychiatry has its roots in 18th century England because at this time, during the 1700s, England had a reputation as the melancholy capital of Europe. It had disturbingly high suicide rates and physicians were saying it was a national crisis, which like, hmm. of course it is. So in response to this crisis, psychiatry began to develop in Britain, and the Mad King George actually really spurred this on. There was actually, it, it kind of was like this unofficial competition where if doctors could like solve mental health, whatever wow. that meant to them, then you could have the be the royal physician, you could be the king's royal physician. And you know, obviously, your work would be widely published. But before the development of psychiatry, most people with any kind of mental illness were considered lunatics. And they were dealt with privately at home. I mean, it was basically up to your family to care for you. Mm. There was no medication you could take. There was no place that you could go. Actually, this is the point in time where asylums became popular. Because if a family couldn't take care of their relative, that person would often be sent to prisons or workhouses. Like it was a terrible place. It was a terrible state to be in. So in the 1800s, mental asylums started to form around the country. And it was a, a slightly more official way to take care of people with mental illnesses. 
Obviously, I think in today's world, asylums have a really negative connotation, just because as that would be a more centralized informal institution than just living at home with your family who had no medical training and no idea how to take care of you. It was a little bit better. And in fact, at this time, they kind of started to more concretely define what a mental break, what a nervous breakdown was. And it referred to a specific medical disorder that was a disease of the nerves, not of the mind. And it was a really crucial distinction because like I said earlier, if there was something wrong with your mind, there was just nothing anyone could do for you. Like you were just put up in these asylums or you were kept at home, a secret basically. It was characterized by pain, weakness, migraine, headaches, and fatigue. And it even included symptoms that we now know are associated with depression Being diagnosed with nerves was really fashionable amongst the upper classes. And in fact, King George assured his court, I'm not ill, but I'm nervous. It makes me think of Mrs. Bennett just saying up and down, my poor nerves, my poor nerves, and how it was kind of just given this like invisible part of your body that you could just blame for what we'd probably call anxiety these days. Like, it would be interesting to go and and have a real psychiatrist mentally diagnose all of Jane Austen's characters. (laughs) King George's affliction really spurred on a lot of study of the mind and, you know, how it affected your body and, and, you know, if you could be cured or what that meant. So it was pretty bleak before that. It got a little better and his existence as a a sort of mad king did spur on the importance of studying the mind and like what it would do for the rest of the generations of the melancholy capital of Europe. That's so sad. Diving back into the second act of our episode where the king breaks free, his hearing how Charlotte reacted to the Pomeranian puts a certain pep in George's step. And he rejects the evil doctor's commands. He's like, boy, it's time for the chair. And he's like, I actually don't want to go to the chair today. (laughs) Kind of wielding that power that he's had this whole time. He decides that he wants to spend more time with Charlotte. It feels like he's about to tell her the truth. And he's like, here's what's been going on with me. And here's how I'm getting better. But that he chickens out of doing that. And he's like, I just, you know, he comes up with an excuse and apologizes. And he again puts on like that very charming front of, of what he does best. And Charlotte accepts that apology. And so because she wants that relationship with her husband, like she's, she wants to see him be better. And it feels like, again, they're making a step in the right direction, but she doesn't know the full context of it as we see in these flashbacks. So what happens now is what we saw in the last episode where they have their passionate night together and she says, so you're coming to home to Buckingham House? So he does. He leaves Q. The doctor is not pleased to hear that. You know what? No ice bath. No chair today. <clears throat> Your Majesty. Boy, I command you to stay. Sorry, Doctor. Today I would rather work on my farm. I, I think it's like a a light dismissal. Dr. Monroe is not happy about losing his power over the king. We haven't seen the last of him, though, because cut to that argument with his mother, where he's like, I did it, I bet it her, I bet it her for the crown. And he starts to tick. He starts, his vision starts to blur, and he reluctantly sends Reynolds for the doctor. The doctor does like this really 
strange routine with him where he shaves his face and it's very like just Sweeney Todd-esque. I'm like, please be careful with the blade. <laughs> or what if he is like a horrible doctor? What if he does something worse to him? And it's a very vulnerable position for George to be in. And obviously the doctor is doing that very much on purpose so he can assert his power over George because literally when someone has a blade to your throat, you're going to be as still as possible. <laughs> and I think for the first time, because he's been spending so much time with Charlotte, he sees the clarity of the power that this doctor is attempting to wield, which yeah. is ridiculous because he's the king, you know, like he can hold the blade as close as he wants to George's throat, but he's not going to cut it because that would mean the end of his That's life. true. He kind of centers back and reflects on this uh, notion that we were talking about earlier, where like, he's the center of the universe. He is the king. Everything he does is important. Everything he says or thinks about is important to a really detrimental degree. Like he's never been able to just like be a guy. Everything matters to a really annoying degree. And he says of Charlotte, that she is someone who breaks rules, courts scandal, commits unthinkable impertinences, and she is the most royal person I have ever known. He really admires Charlotte for doing what she wants, when she wants, and he wants to join her. He wants to be royal. He wants to be her kind of royal. Yeah. It's a hard dismissal of the doctor where he's like, no chair today. No chair ever. You are dismissed. You are not my doctor anymore. If this were not based in history and, you know, it's not an exact historical account, obviously, but these are real people and this was a real condition the king faced. But if this was more of a fantasy world, that declaration would be like, yes, and that's the end. And then they go off and they live happily ever after. And that's kind of the end of like, yes, Charlotte's love was always enough for George. He's cured. But no, sadly. <laughs> this is only the second act. Yes, we're not fully there yet. I love that George, though, does have that really great moment of like him really believing that. And him, it shows that he really believes in Charlotte and him now, too. This marriage was not something he signed up for either. This was something that he thought, like, we'll be able to live in our separate estates and we'll never have to see each other ever. We'll produce an heir and that'll be the end of it. But now he's actually ha having feelings for her and he's really invested in like her interests and like what she wants to do and like them as together as a couple. So he does have this very empowered feeling around her of feeling like, yes, with her, anything is possible. I can be better. I can be the king she deserves. But it's not that simple given what he's going through. So let's wrap out with our act three of the episode, which is like the queen knows George, after snuggling with Charlotte, wakes up and goes down to the kitchen and is horrified to see Dr. Monroe making a poultice for Charlotte. And then Monroe is like, actually, the queen uh, is in need of a physician and she wanted the best. So she hired the king's physician. Monroe tells him the queen suspects it, but I know for sure she's pregnant. George has this moment where he's like, oh, no, she's pregnant. And this evil doctor is her doctor. And so he goes upstairs back to the bedroom. And this is where he has his mental breakdown, in fact, because he's just kind of reeling from the weight of going to be a father. I think he feels like he's dragged Charlotte into his medical mess. 
And this is where we kind of arrive at where we were at the beginning of this episode, where he runs into the garden, shouts at Venus, at the moon, and and this is where this whole episode comes full circle. He wakes up the next morning, though, and I mean, he doesn't remember entering his fit at all. All he knows is he wakes up alone. Charlotte's not there. He looks out the window and he sees her carriage leaving and he looks at all the drawings that he clearly made on the wall. The worst has happened. She has seen him in his fit. She's changed her mind about him. She's decided he is that troll. He is that beast. She can't love him and she's leaving. She's going back to Germany. She actually goes to confront his mother, the Dowager Princess Augusta, and she confronts her about the fact that um, she's noticed some changes at Buckingham House. There's no sharp knives anymore. King Lear is missing from the library, and she basically wants to know why she kept this a secret. If God grant you ever do bear an heir, then you may start to learn, and your first lesson will be this. You would do anything to stop the cracking. You would engage hideous doctors and a thousand disgusting treatments. You would scour Europe for a queen grateful enough to aid him. And yes, if necessary, you would leave the rough edges of his nature for his bride to discover in due course. Rough edges? He was talking to the sky! And what of it? It's been a gradual process for her, and, and it's not been easy at all, because she's really had to hide this from everyone and likely go through this alone. So for her to like see her own son like slowly breaking over time is heartbreaking, and she is trying to protect him in the only way she knows how, which is to hide him away and protect him from the world. And yet, he is the most powerful person in the world. He is not in a position where he can just be hidden away for all of his life. He needs to be in the public. He needs to rule the country. It's a tough thing to reconcile those two things of like, hiding this really big part of who he is and replace it just with like this front of all power. So it's really, it's been a difficult position for her to be in. George overhears not all of this conversation. He just overhears Charlotte yelling at, <laughs> at his mother and really just like putting all her emotions out there. I don't think he gets the full context of the conversation. And I don't think even Charlotte really knows like what she's completely mad about yet. She just knows she's mad at that this was kept from her and that this was a secret. And I think she is just trying to process this all in real time. But to George, much like what his thinking goes to is like, ah, I'm the monster. I need to fix this and I need to be made well for Charlotte. So he is unfortunately going to resubmit back himself to the doctor and undergo those torture treatments once again. I don't even think Charlotte is upset that he has these fits. I think she's the kind of person who will love him no matter what. Yeah. But it's understandable to be angry over being lied to and being deceived. And absolutely no one told her about this. And she's just really hurt about that. And it's natural for George to misinterpret that as her completely rejecting him. So it's a really hard episode to watch. Yeah. There's torture. Even though this was a lot of like scenes that we've seen before, it was 
interesting to see it from George's perspective. I mean, where Charlotte was just like waiting around, he was like just nervously like trying to avoid an episode and really just trying to suppress so much of himself. So it's interesting how like his days weren't just out farming or like being in his observatory. It was also this added pressure and stress of trying to maintain the secret that he's managed to keep so far, but how much longer can it be kept a secret? Thanks for listening. Tune in next week as we discuss Queen Charlotte episode five. You can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and support us on Patreon at the Pemberley. And you can email us comments and questions at the Pemberley podcast at gmail.com. Thank you.